Future Proof Extra with Jonathan McRae. Proudly supported by Science Foundation Ireland on News Talk. Now, you've probably heard that recently hundreds of leading technology experts, journalists, and policymakers from across the world wrote a letter. They say mitigating the risk of extinction from AI should be a global priority alongside pandemics and nuclear war. And a lot of these people are people of note. So what exactly did they mean? Because just now we're starting to grapple with this brave new world of so-called generative AI. And it can still be a little bit difficult to figure out what exactly the future might hold for us, what role AI will play in our lives and where the danger really lies. Well, Patricia Scanlon is Ireland's AI ambassador and founder of Dublin-based speech recognition technology company, Soapbox Labs. Uh, She joins me now. Patricia, let's talk about this letter first before we start talking about, I suppose, the more imminent dangers of of AI and and unchecked technology. Uh, What do they mean by risk of extinction? Are they they actually talking about sort of Skynet or, or... or, or what? What exactly? I mean, what exactly could a, a computer program do to bring about the extinction of the human race? Hey, Jonathan. Yeah, I mean, so look, the statement was released, and it was quite succinct. And the reason for that was because there was a previous letter that got a lot of criticism for proposing a pause and the way it was proposed. So they decided to almost try again, um, and and have it a little shorter and to the point and have less and just. The idea behind it was to start a conversation um, and start us globally thinking. And I think it was purposely dramatic enough that we pay attention. And the reason what people are talking about um, in this particular letter, when they talk about this imminent, you know, this potential threat to humanity is a lot about um, what we call, I don't know, you would have heard it mentioned as the singularity, um, you know, when the machines surpass humans and then start learning and strategizing and thinking for themselves, um, you know, and what would that mean if that ever did come to pass? And again, just to re- reiterate, because I think it's often not clear, um, this is not technology that's in existence today. Um, you know, and, and when we talk about generative AI and ChatGPT and all these things that Pope in the puffer coat and all these things that we're seeing circulated in, in the media now and social media, that's about something else. That's about technology that's developed today. It came about a lot quicker than people expected. Um, we expected it maybe in 10 years or 20 years. It came a lot quicker. And because that came quicker, everybody's going, well, if that comes quick, let's sit up and pay attention to the fact that other things we thought were decades out, if ever, may come quicker. And those things that are not yet invented or even possible right now, if they were to come about, it could be a threat. And therefore, what could we do right now to help mitigate that? So, you know, it it sounds scary. It was deliberately supposed to be scary because Sometimes when pe- apathy could be our worst enemy at this point, um, you know, climate change, pandemic, we all saw the polarization of those conversations, um, you know, and, and the hope is that we can do something internationally. And there's a lot of calls for that global collaboration, harmonization um, to be able to deal with this. Yeah, I mean, we were at a, an event run by the Adapt Research Centre um, during the week. And this is where I was starting to think about these conversations, because there was a, one of the talks was about um, 
uh, tools rather than these large language models. So I, I, I met a person uh, this week who'd never heard of ChatGPT, and that I, I couldn't believe, given the explosion of this technology, I was really surprised to hear that people haven't heard of it. So if you haven't heard about it, it's basically um, the AI that we've been kind of thinking about, an AI that you can talk to in normal language and it can answer all sorts of different problems and, and do things that we hadn't really thought, like generate code for you or, or you know, answer a really complicated problem by taking in inputs from all different types of texts and, and figuring that out. But the, the talk that was um, at the the event that I was interested in was was this um, tool use that that we could um, use a similar sort of intelligence to get um, tools to start asking their own questions and, and improving um, utility and so on. And I guess when we start applying sort of generative um, intelligence to things that connect to real systems on the internet, you can sort of imagine how, I suppose, if not intentional destruction of the human race might be possible, uh, certainly uh, unintentional um, clicking into things like markets and causing crashes or um, utilities and, and causing floods or whatever. You can see how those things might be possible if people aren't asking the right questions or the, or the AI might interpret that in the wrong way. Is that closer than the sort of termination and, and sort of yeah. you know singularity? I think I think that's it. So, you know, some people would look at that statement and and they deliberately didn't call out a, the singularity kind of thing. They actually just said the progression could happen. So, again, you don't need the AI to be sentient or conscious or have emotions and, you know, all these things we associate in the movies for it to be dangerous. Right. Because if it was used incorrectly, um, we don't need the computer to be more intelligent. We just need people utilizing it in certain ways. Um, in order to cause maybe intentional and sometimes unintentional consequences. And I think that's what people are trying to prevent against. And there are, you know, the G7 have called for, um, you know, to come together, human-centered regulation. Um, you know, uh, Richie Sunak has called for, he wants to host the first summit that's going to discuss regulation globally. And, you know, there's talks between Europe and US. Everybody is intentionally going, yeah, it, it doesn't necessarily have to go the whole way to the singularity to be a, a threat. It is something, and I think it's important to realize we have time to do this. If we sit on our hands <laughs> or we stick our head in the sand is, is where the problem is. We have the EU that has done great progress and we're very fortunate to the last two years that, has, that there's been the most negotiation ever over any regulation to date in the EU has happened around AI and, and, you know, the EU AI Act, we were very fortunate that it's, 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 it's now in the final stages of agreement and they've now included the language around generative AI, around chat GPT and all these things because it wasn't in there because that's how, this is how new this is. So sometimes people claim, oh, you know, regulation policymakers, they, they didn't get ahead of this. They couldn't have, you know, this is actually something that's come about. I'm in this space 25 years when I sat down with ChatGPT, particularly the GPT-4 model, I was blown away. And I know the creators and founders of OpenAI were blown away. Jeffrey Hinton, one of the godfathers of AI, was blown away. And that's how new this is. I mean, it's literally, you're talking about months. Yeah. Um, but I am impressed with the, the, the need and the calling for and the people who are actually coming to the table to say, we need a global solution to this. We don't need any one country, any one territory doing a solo run on this. Mm. And, you know, sometimes people always look to China and Russia and, you know, but what are they doing? They will be as concerned about these things as we will as well. And I think that's kind of a, a, a you know, 
the instability that could be created through disinformation or destabilizing governments or, you know, like you were talking about, like, you know, having these bots, you know, doing stuff on the internet we didn't intend or cyber attacks or any of that stuff. Nobody wants that to happen. It's not like anybody, if you were to do something, um, you'd be a bad actor in this, that you suddenly think you're going to be able to control it. You know, I mean, I don't yeah. think anybody, and that's why it's drawn akin to atomic and pandemic and stuff going it's not good for anyone. It's not good for China. Russia is not good for the West. It's not good for anybody. So therefore, coming together and regulating it is what's important. Yeah. And, and a lot of the discussion uh, is around regulation and how we might do something like that when something's evolving so quickly and we're seeing, you know, open uh, AI's chat GPT-4 is not the biggest large language model by some uh, um, by some mile. Apparently, there are new versions of uh, these extremely large language models that seem to have inhaled the Internet to be able to answer questions um, that, that putting regulation on that seems to be a difficult thing to do. But um, but. The, the question I'd have is, is it is it possible to regulate uh, AI given it's kind of like it seems to be in the hands of every single person in, in, in the world? How do you regulate something like that? Yeah, I, 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 yeah, you're, it, it, that's true in some ways. Everybody has access to it, but it costs billions to build these. And, you know, the money that they, these are loss making at the moment, right? So it is not in the hands of everybody to be able to host it and run it and, and work on it and develop it. I mean, if you think about the, the billions and billions that have been poured into these companies, that's what's important. So you can regulate it because not everybody can host them, right? right. So these foundation models, we're calling them the GPT models, right? So ChatGPT is just an interface on these big models. And anybody can like, not anybody, you have to apply to license and pay for access if you want to fine tune it and use it in your own products. That's great. So it is possible to regulate because it still will be commercial entities, very deep pocketed commercial entities that are hosting these and running these and or a university system. It's not going to be that you're going to run it on your laptop Mm. or in the cloud because nobody just wouldn't be viable for people to do that. So the regulation is very straightforward. So Everybody's kind of looking at the extinction scenarios and all this, or even the bad actors, all this thing. You just come back to what the regulation is actually doing. And it's quite straightforward. It's trying to keep humans at the center of all process, right? So if you have an AI system that's going to affect somebody's health, their employment, their education, their financial future um, in law enforcement, all of this that affects people, they're just going to be regulations on those specific use cases. If you're building a productivity tool that's going to help you write better email, there is not regulation. That'll be all self-regulated. There's nothing to be done. And the EU and nobody else is trying to regulate all these really normal, you know, productivity tools. It's only when the trajectory of somebody's life will be impacted and there may be biases in the models. Mm. And, you know, OpenAI and everybody, as you said that earlier, it just vacuumed up the whole internet. There was no nuance or thought or balance put into the content that are put into these models. And OpenAI or Google are admittedly saying they haven't done any kind of thought on biases or any kind of prejudice or any errors or mistakes that's kind of at your own risk using it. Is, so but is that a problem? Is that a problem from now? I mean, they said, look, we've inhaled the internet and there's bias in the internet and that's going to be reflected in the model. Is that, 
okay or do we have to hold AI to a greater standard? I mean, there's biases in people, right? I mean, some people, you know, see someone in, in, in an interview and they may be highly qualified, but they just don't like them. Or they could be an outnet racist. You know, <laughs> either option is absolutely feasible um, and, and that exists in the world. So, sh- so shouldn't the AI models mimic the world or should we be hoping it's for better? Very, yeah, I mean, I'll give you a good example is, you know, at Soapbox, we've developed speech recognition models that have to work in the classroom. So a lot of our clients are in the US and there's a lot of different accents and dialects and socioeconomic backgrounds. And it is so important that when you bring technology into the classroom to help a child to read or to help a child learn a language, that it doesn't start working better for some more affluent cohort of the class and less well for a less represented um, group or ethnicity or whoever has this accent or dialect reflected on backgrounds. And that's what happens a lot of the time because the data is just sucked in, tends to be just the people who use the internet most or where it was most convenient to get the data or whoever had the cheapest data. If you were to build the models like that, you create massive inequities in education. So that would affect the trajectory of somebody's life. So it's really, really important to get it right. Mm. But your point about, you know, humans do have bias, right? It is possible if you were to build, and we have done this in Soapbox and it's been a lot of years in making, to mitigate the bias in the model. Um, some of the researchers we work with in the Florida Center for Reading Research out in the US have said there's studies that show 18% differences in one assessor versus another. Let's say just assessing a child learn to read, right? Their fluency. 18% difference when they do studies on this thing. Wow. You can actually, if you build a model correctly, you can actually remove all that bias, human bias, and create an objective system that grades everybody. And it gives that teacher that free time in the classroom to, have to do more with ob- all these assessments. They could be doing the assessments every week or every day. They get time to teach as opposed to assess. The children are getting the better outcome because it's an objective system. And then you can imagine applying that to employment. You know, financial, say, who gets the loan? Like, I mean, all this, these reports about people with credit cards and it was just one, gen, you know, males were getting qualified for higher amounts than women and nothing to do with salary, all else being equal. So you have to start wondering that when you build these models, is it something we could actually leverage for the benefit of society to create objectiveness? Yeah. But that takes a little bit of thought. It's not that hard. It just needs thoughtfulness and effort put into these things to build them correctly. But there are other cultures and other viewpoints in the world like um you would imagine the um the 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 ai built ethically in turkmenistan would be very different to the ai built ethically in los angeles how do you square that yeah i've heard that argument i haven't heard a good example um, of where you know if you just think about doing right by a human um as opposed but but like if you know um Obviously, uh, women are treated differently in different parts of the world. Some of that is seen as absolutely correct because it is driven by God. And some of it is seen as completely unacceptable um, in more, uh, you know, Western uh, countries, for example. So there's an example. Yeah. yeah, And maybe that's in the rules then, right? So, I mean, if you you can't, you know, it's... The system can still be objective, saying, I objectively say this woman is as qualified as this man. If you then just choose to choose the man, even if they're not as qualified as a woman, I mean, that's a human decision that somebody can make. But the system can still make an objective um, read of the situation. And then you can add your bias on top of it, <laughs> if you so okay. wish. Well, as long as uh, I can add my bias on top of that. Well, no, I do understand your point, though. Um and, and I've heard that a lot, but generally speaking, you know, I think we do have a lot of shared values globally around, yeah. you know, 
health and education and and you know so where yes there are nuances to that and maybe that's what you layer on a few rules on top of it for different societies but as a whole I think the safest and where we're seeing the harmonization is that you know the G7 came out with recently with this human-centered um, regulation so you can't you know, release something and models into the world that are going to be used in medicine or in law enforcement or employment driver that you've not tested. Hmm. It's quite simple, like just test yeah. it like and, 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 and address it. You know, you, you wouldn't expect anybody to release a, a tech product in the medical field without adequate testing for all the, you know, so we shouldn't expect that these tech um, innovations should be held to any lower standard given the powerful, you know, how powerful they are. And we all admit that. Uh, let's finish with a, a, a thought exercise. So we have this chat GPT engine, which you can now have a fluid conversation with. And you could also, I suppose, skin with a personality because I, I've asked chat GPT, imagine you are, you know, uh, a professor and, and tell me about this. Or imagine you are, you know, uh, a 12 year old schoolboy, uh, and I can ha you have these conversations that are in a certain flavor or whatever. So we can now have sort of conversations with, I suppose, characters. We could train these models to, 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 be more like the characters we want from from, from you know from a novel or from from a film or whatever, and we also um, have a, an a, an ability to understand where the 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 human is coming from in terms of the future of education. Is it likely that we will start having one to one conversations with educators that can give us much better um, information and guidance uh, and exposure to ideas that we are ready for? in a way that a, a teacher can't do in a classroom? And is it possible that AI may, may, may help us develop much, much broader and better minds because it can give a granular, direct feedback um, education based on, on what it knows and what it, it, it thinks the, the human should know? Yeah, I mean, there's been a long held idea around um, personalized learning or adaptive learning or dynamic learning paths. Yeah. So for exactly that reason in the classroom to be allowed, you know, some kids are going to need more help than others. Other kids want to progress faster. Other kids need to be taught in a different way. Maybe that teaching method isn't working for them. So that kind of holy grail of personalized learning has been long held, but not actually realized yet completely. So for sure, AI can pay, play a part here. And then the idea, you know, the role of the teacher becomes more about individual help for kids and helping them along and helping them understand their system, moving to the next person, maybe having, and then maybe the teaching becomes more about social emotional learning and the project-based work and the collaboration, because all those skills, you know, we call them 21st century skills, um, are super important. And actually in the world of technology and AI, I think those kind of soft skills and emotions are actually collaborative and research-based and thinking outside the box and all those things are going to become more important um, than ever before. So I think it's definitely going to be a stage of learning to live with the technology. Yeah. A lot of you hear some teachers are sitting down with the class and going, okay, here's ChatGPT. Let's get it to do something now. Let's critically analyze what it's come back with and let's prompt it to, you know, so they're trying to, not admit it's here now and it's very hard to um to pretend it's not uh, i do think assessments and exams need to be you know taught a little bit more whether we, we stick with the handwritten um exams for a while or we start looking at some more let's say a voice base in the moment kind of defense of a, um that assessment but that'd be new technology and innovation in the world of assessment yeah so there's a lot of changes coming um 
ideally looking at it and hitting it head on saying, OK, here's what's available to us today. Already, if you just go in and, and you're struggling with a concept, ask it to explain. I mean, you can say explain it like I'm five. You know? and, and that's <laughs> incredible, you know, explain, you know, the Northern Ireland Treaty like I'm five. It, and you can do that with any text that's that's available yes. on the Internet, which is, which in itself, that one thing, which often humans can't do very well, is, yeah. is extraordinary. So we are on a very interesting path. It's brilliant to speak mm. with you, Patricia Scanlon, Ireland's AI ambassador and executive chairman and founder of Silkbox Labs. Thanks for your time. Future Proof Extra with Jonathan McRae. Proudly supported by Science Foundation Ireland on News Talk.